Roger that, Houston. All systems spied by Fox. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Welcome to episode 136 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are... John Harbick, Dan Watkins, Peter Johnson, Andy Chandler, and I'm Hazel Chandler. On today's show, we bring you our first reactions to Spider-Man. Is it Spider-Man? Spider-Man. Cross the Spider-Verse, which we all went to see together less than 24 hours ago. Plus, it's a buff or bluff episode, and you know what that means. Mind games and trickery as we try to guess the true facts from the all-out lies. So, let's start the show. So we had um, a very nice message to our Nerdfest channel. We did. Ago. Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> they don't normally say please. Yeah. We normally ask people to every episode. Actually, we get a surprising number of responses. I do spend a surprising amount of my free time going on to people's houses. Freaking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> them out. How surprised are they when you turn up? They're normally waiting for me. <laughs> Some sort of restraining order. <laughs> but yes, a lovely person called Mark messaged the podcast and complimented us, but also said, hey guys, where is your Dungeons and Dragons review? Surely as nerds, you should have covered this by now. And I realise we haven't. And there's an even more reason we should have covered it, isn't there? Isn't there, Dan? Well, we can talk about this now, can yeah, we? Yeah, we, after two years of lying, <laughs> yes, I have been on set for some of the filming <gasps> of Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Which was quite cool. So who was nice and who was a prick? <laughs> uh, Chris Pine was the nicest, loveliest, most positive energy person I think I've ever met. That's really good to hear. I took him on a guided tour of the location and spent about half an hour talking history with him, mm-hmm. which was quite good because he's played Robert the Bruce before, so he knows his medieval history. <laughs> um, and just the positive energy from him was really, really nice. Mm-hmm. He just... Seems like a lovely guy, and in person, exceptionally handsome. <laughs> I am married to a woman, but Chris Pine, hey, he's, on my, he's, on, he's on my list. Yeah, yeah, you can have he's all, on my list. All the man crushes you like, Dan, that's fine. Uh, is there anything else you can tell us about being on set? I think the amount of preparation that went just into the set dressing and mm. the production design mm-hmm. was really amazing to see on a film of that scale. The production designer was a man called Ray who had worked on Infinity War and Endgame. And he brought to set one day as a gift for one of my colleagues a book of his concept art that he'd done for that as a gift for her son that he just had. So he was another really, really lovely guy. But the amount of work into the banners, the heraldry, the symbols, just little details on mugs and goblets that are in the background of the background of the background, the costumes of the extras, the chalk painting on doors to make them look just the right amount Mm. of aged they spent so much time creating the world of Dungeons and Dragons and I think that works in the film it benefits so much as a movie from feeling like it is on location it's not all in front of green screens how long were they filming for Uh, they were with us for about three days but prep was a couple of weeks beforehand just slowly putting everything out, adding portcullises, removing cobbles, creating trees, covering over modern tarmac with sand so it looked like it fitted in with that world. And then they were off to another location. They spent months in Northern Ireland. They built sound stages and all kinds of practical effects. 
And then you start to add in the CG, making everything much, much bigger than that you can do with those real locations. So, so how much of the castle was in it? I saw one shot as they were approaching the castle. And I only recognised that because it was also in Transformers, a very similar view. <laughs> yeah, there's probably a couple of minutes of the northeast in the movie. Probably not more than five minutes, but just about everything that they filmed was used. And yeah, some really good scenes. There's a funny scene of Chris Pine trying to distract some guards with his barding. And <laughs> he starts to glitch because there's some sorcery going on as well. And it works quite well in the film. Which, if you haven't seen it yet, is loads of fun really imaginative. It feels like a group of friends playing a game of D&D where anything could happen and something happens and then something else happens and then this happens and then we do that. And it feels like it's caught that spirit of mm. playing a game with your friends really, really well. We should mention that Dan works in the local Aldi, which is why they had yeah. to spend <laughs> so long set dressing it to look like a castle. <laughs> Very low uh, budget um, film. Amazing stuff. And the shop was open the whole time. Yeah, the regulars just wouldn't leave. Yeah, the quest to find the mythical thing from the Middle Isle. <laughs> and if you listen closely over the end credits, you'll just hear unexpected item in the bagging area. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm. But yeah, Dungeons and Dragons as a movie, aside from the personal experience, is one of the more fun cinema experiences of the year, especially as a blockbuster, comparing it to something like Quantumania, where you could just feel the green screen. Uh, just that attitude, the, the directors, whose last film was Game Night, so they know how to really do fun, fun game-based comedy. They've brought that same kind of mindset to this big fantasy adventure, and it works. The thing I enjoyed was the gelatinous cube. I thought it was quite nice oh, yes. seeing things that mm-hmm. were more unique to D&D yeah. than sort of generic sort of monsters, yeah, sword yeah. and sorcery the, stuff. The previous ones have just been kind of generic sword and sorcery with a name, but this one looks like it leaned into the law of Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. and it's been on my to-watch list for about a month or so now, but I will, I will get around to it. I went from having no interest in it whatsoever to seeing the trailer and going, actually, that looks quite good fun. And then everyone I know who has seen it, has anybody else? Yeah, I have. We haven't. Everybody I know who's seen it has said it's really, really good fun. So I'm looking forward to it. It, it gets that tone right of having fun with a D&D world, but taking that world seriously, but not like the Warcraft movie. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go into that, but it doesn't go too far the other way and make everything sarcastic and quippy. I was going to say, I, I kind of got a Princess Bride vibe, or is it not, <laughs> not into that? <laughs> Does it lean that far into like the comedy and Heathen. the satire of it? Comedy? Um, what? Sorry, go on. No, it's, it's more like a comedy set in that mm-hmm. world, I suppose. So Rega Jean Page is a paladin who is completely sincere about everything. And that's funny because none of the other characters are... And he is the noble, heroic Mm. quest Mm -hmm. person. He's part of the team and he's an exceptional fighter, but he will talk in a high fantasy way, but because he's the only one who's doing it, it makes it funny. Mm. Sounds like Guybrush Threepwood a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. There's probably a bit of Monkey Island in there. Uh, There's a funny bit where they have to gain answers to some questions, but they only have a limited number of questions. And comedy ensues, but I won't say exactly Mm. how. But stay for the mid-credits scene. Does uh, Hugh Grant enjoy himself? He is in full-on Paddington 2 mode. Excellent. He was very good in Paddington 2. (laughs) (laughs) He actually was very good in Paddington 2, yes. So, um, how many gelatinous cubes out of ten? Yes, just just for Mark, let's do a a review. For Mark, Uh, I will... Sorry, how how do you talk about dice? Is it 1d10? D20. Well, yeah, but I was 
trying to get a score out of 10. Well, he, I think it has to be a score out of 20 because it's a D20. Hazel, what are they talking about? Do, to, do no a D5, a D6 and a D4, maybe? All right. So how many 1D6s plus a 1D4? Um, so 1D6, I guess a D2, and let's throw in an owlbear there as a bonus. <laughs> it's a good, fun, blockbustery time. I have no idea what score that was. Was anyone else counting? Nine. I think that's a nine, but I'm not okay. Persian, so I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, don't you the people? John. Yet again, John does not speak for Nerdfest. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of friends who very much enjoy Dungeons and Dragons and... I'm sure they have a lovely time. And it doesn't bother you offending them, <laughs> obviously. No, because they're quite weak because they play Dungeons and Dragons so can't hit me. Wow. Well, I, I assume they'd want to punch me, but would have to stop and roll a dice to decide if they're allowed to or not. That's how it works, isn't it? Yes. Moving on. <laughs> and speaking of imaginative and fun films, should we do our review of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse? Could we not yes. do... A fun film instead. Oh, for goodness oh. sake. Oh, we're, here we go. We're not, oh, no. we're not starting in not the right again. hand corner. We were so happy, Andy. <laughs> we had a lovely evening. Yeah. So let's not start with him. No. He can complain about it afterwards. We were all watching this film in the cinema together. Yeah, it was a vintage I was, I was getting a sense from Andy from about five minutes. I was. <laughs> I, sli- I glanced uh, uh, across to my right-hand side after a couple of jokes and there was like stony yeah, it was, face. The, the head <laughs> and, and the hands like, was the giveaway. Oh, oh. Yeah. oh. Anyway, we're not starting there. <laughs> Didn't even have subtitles. <laughs> oh, it did for a bit. It was a bit of black and white. Oh, I fell asleep. <laughs> I had a really good time. It was beautiful visually to look at. It was like art yeah. in a way, wasn't it? Where yeah. computer stuff so often trying to be realistic. And yet it wasn't just big splodges of colour with no meaning, yeah. like a multiverse background. I think it was Louise who said um, every frame should be in a gallery. Mm. There was a shot yeah. with Gwen and Miles sitting upside down with New York underneath them that was just stunning. I would mm. have requested that in a frame on the wall. Mm. Really, really beautiful. And I like that every character almost had their own animation style. They should have contrasted and clashed and not worked together. But you had Spider-Man India and Spider-Punk and Miles and Gwen all with their different styles all in this shot together and it still worked which is quite an amazing thing to pull off. See, it didn't really for me. I found it jarring. I found a lot of it uncomfortable to look at. I do very much appreciate the effort they've gone to to carve out a unique visual style. So I applaud that, but they've turned the style up to 11. It's an incredibly strong flavour and it's not to my tastes. So I I didn't like looking at this film. Though I understand that, that uh, many people yeah. will. It is a lot. Mm. Yeah. I, I found yeah. it during the, some of the fight scenes yes. a little yes. difficult to follow sometimes because of the art style and the, the editing. Also very, very, very fast, completely weightless. The, the action scenes I found didn't work at all. It was all swoosh, swoosh. You don't need to know what's where. But it's kind of the style. It's about striking the fantastic pose as you do a particular... Like a comic yeah. book come to life kind of thing. Making mm-hmm. the world mm. bigger by having fights yeah. here, there and everywhere. And I loved some of the character designs. I thought... I thought yeah. they were brilliant. Mm-hmm. Jessica Drew? Jessica Drew, it? Spider yeah. Woman. Yes, who has like a huge big afro and is pregnant mm-hmm. and on a fuck-off motorbike. <laughs> she was really good. She was incredible, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
it must be a serious talent to get animated characters to act well. Mm. Does, that, does that translate? Mm. They emit powerful emotions and I truly believe in the relationships. And as you say, like everyone had their own style, even like the way that they walked, the way mm. they reacted to stuff. They fully paid attention to how these characters acted on screen, even though there's no... Mm-hmm. I think that sounds a really person. good voice work as well. Yes. yes. Yeah, it yeah. was particularly impressive. It's weird that a cartoon Spider-Man has the best emotional relationships between the characters. Did mm-hmm. you not like Andrew Garfield's? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, 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 there was a little bit of Andrew. There was a little there, bit of there, Andrew yeah. Garfield, yeah. We don't want, I, I assume we don't want to get into spoiler searches, but there was one very fun cameo. There was, yeah. I liked how they fleshed out Gwen's character a little bit more. She was my favourite character in mm-hmm. Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. And we start seeing her world which is a kind of watercolour painted mm-hmm. palette, and we find out more about her as a character. It was about Miles, but it wasn't just about him mm-hmm. this is that time. Hayley Steinfeld? Yes. Hayley yeah. Steinfeld is Kate Bishop from Hawkeye. Oh, yes, yes. I was getting that. mixed up because The Little Mermaid came out this week and they're kind of similar sounding names almost. Have you seen The Little Mermaid? Rather not. It looks awful. <laughs> <laughs> Racist. I'm not sure you're the target audience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know, just the weird, like a anamorphic yeah. cute crab dancing and singing is quite nice yeah, and sweet. Yeah, uh, Diggs. Something that looks like a real crab singing is just fucking stuff of nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Spider crabs. Do you need some ointment? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Without getting into spoilers, was anyone else a little frustrated by the ending and the, yep. the fact yes. that it's a very much a part one? Part one, yeah. 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 This is to be concluded next summer, I think. Mm-hmm. In, it might um, be earlier. Beyond the Spider-Verse, next year anyway, there's yeah. a second film coming and this one is very much a, a, a first parter. And it, yeah, it didn't feel yeah. like it had a climax. It felt like it just stopped at an arbitrary point. Like uh, like Dune. I disagree. I think it, it raised the stakes and then... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there was a, a point earlier where they could have stopped and that would have been enough. Yeah. I think John and I were both... Yeah, kind I would, of have, came to I the would same have stopped it five, ten minutes before. There's no resolution to anything though. Mm-hmm. Everything is left hanging, which I don't like. If you're going to do a two-part thing... Everyone's, everyone's left hanging. Let's say yes. Let's say <laughs> I thought ahead and came up with a pun. Yeah. Well, I, I went into it knowing it was part one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I agree with Peter and John that mm. the other ending about five minutes earlier is also the point where I would have yeah. ended it. But the lack of resolution didn't take me by surprise because I knew that mm-hmm. this was originally Across the Spider-Verse part one and part two, but they've since changed the name of part two to Beyond. And to explain that, it's that... They go to a ta-da, big revelation, and then they continue for a little bit. And really, they should have just stopped on the revelation. Mm-hmm. It's two hours, 20 minutes. It's quite yeah, a short movie. Yeah. And I was maybe feeling it about the two-hour mark. I was yeah. like, I think I might have had mm-hmm. enough of trying to Overload. concentrate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. was a little bit baggy, I thought. There was some stuff that could have been cut to streamline it, um, particularly in the, the first third. I liked all the stuff with the family and the conversations. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Family, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the family stuff was very much the best best part of it. I would have liked much more of that focus and less of the main multiversey mm-hmm. plot, which did mm-hmm. nothing for yeah. me. But the, did more for me than the MCU multiverse. Yes, yeah. it's the yeah. most successful multiverse series. Yeah. Um, Spider-Man India, shot. very cool, made me want to read his comic. Mm-hmm. Is that because they have more um, freedom maybe in this series than they do the wider MCU where they've got to tie in a dozen other movies and make it all fit into the canon? Where well, I mean, it's almost their brief is to make it stand apart from the Spider-Man movies. Mm. Yeah. It's quite good that they've created a different thing and it's so different that it does just, you, mm. you're not worried about anything that contradicts what's well, in the other one it does feel like things matter 
in this multiverse. So if a Spider-Man dies, that Spider-Man is dead. All the spider mm. people are different. Yeah. It's not just that another Miles Morales will just show up. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. And take mm-hmm. over and it doesn't matter. Yeah, if there's consequences. This, if Miles dies, there are consequences. If mm. somebody dies who's not supposed to, it has consequences across the Spider-Verse. To be fair, the MCU, they haven't done that yet. They haven't brought a, an alternate reality version of someone just to replace someone that's died. Have They've they? killed Kang they twice have. already. Kang did twice? They're probably yeah. about to kill him again. <laughs> yeah, he died yeah. in Loki and he died in Quantumania. Spoilers for both those, but they're rubbish, uh, so it doesn't Loki matter. Loki died how many times? <laughs> Gamora. Gamora. Yeah. Doctor Strange, oh, they yeah. brought I'm, in various... It turns out I've not been paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone else have a little bit of a problem with the, the sound mixing? In, yes. Uh, yeah. I struggled uh, the, to at hear. At the beginning? Well, mm. a, a few times throughout the film, but particularly at the beginning, there's an intro bit um, where there's a bit of narration and there's some drums going on, and I just I couldn't pick up the dialogue yeah. over the yeah, sound. There was a that. number of times where the music and the, the background noise um, just made me lose dialogue. Mm. That went on long enough that I th- started to think it was deliberate. But then it fixed itself. I think they were trying to make the drums really loud because that was yeah. what she yeah. was doing. She was beating the hell out of them. And in so doing, they just made it confusing. Mm. Yeah. And I think certain characters were really quiet as well. Daniel Kaluuya's character, Spider-Punk, I, I struggled to hear most of his dialogue. Yeah, me yeah. too. I think yeah. that was what he was saying. As I much think the, the sound level in the cinema was really quiet. I saw actually one of the co-directors posting something on Twitter last night telling people to tell the cinema that it's supposed to be played at a certain sound level. Right. I thought the action sequences, it all seemed quiet. There didn't seem to be like a big boof in the effects and stuff like that that you would normally get like in a blockbuster and things are going around you. I also thought it was a bit dark. Mm. I literally checked whether I had my sunglasses on because <laughs> <laughs> I'd been wearing them earlier that day. I also uh, had a, a running commentary from an eight-year-old who was sat next to me. Was it Andy? <laughs> <laughs> an emotional like, eight-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, that's Vulture and he's in this movie. Very nice. <laughs> Did he have a parent with him? Or was... I, I hope so. Yeah. But I, I thought it was really successful. If you like the first one, I'm pretty sure you'll like this one. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I did like the first one. Okay. Did you, sit, did you watch that one at <laughs> yeah. the cinema? Or was, like did you watch that at home? I watched that one at home. So I probably was I wonder whether that makes a difference. Because I enjoyed the first one more on a home viewing. Mm. I think just the amount of stuff happening is a little bit easier to take in on a smaller screen. I was the other way around. I enjoyed it more in the cinema than when I watched right. it the second time. The mm. second time I just found the fight scenes to be a blurry mess in the mm. first one. Yeah, interesting. How many fabulous pink dressing gowns out of ten? Eight. I, I will say eight, but a high eight. Uh, eight and a quarter. Five. <laughs> Postmodern snarky humour. No. <laughs> and I'm an eight, so on average, I think that's nine. That's it, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> right, let's buff our bluff. <gasps> buff our bluff time. So we all have three facts. Two of them are true. One of them is a lie. And we have to try and work out. Where that lies. Mm. Oh, double entendre. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Who would like to go first? You go, Hazel. What you got? Thelma and Louise, back in cinemas this week. One of those rare, great films that feature not one, but two female leads. One of those leads is, of course, Gina Davis, who is a thoroughly interesting person. So I thought we'd learn a little bit more about her. Mm. Mm. Okay, number one. 
During filming of A League of Their Own, Gina Davis grew so exasperated with Madonna's apparent rudeness on set and refusal to turn up on time for rehearsals that she decided to make a bet with her. If Gina could hit a home run of the first pitch from Tom Hanks, Madonna had to turn up on time and reframe from her attitude. She did it and Madonna stayed true to her word. Mm. 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 Number two. After she had her daughter and was watching children's TV with her, Gina saw that there was a lack of girls depicted in kids' TV and movies. She started bringing this up in meetings, but people said, no, that, that can't be true. So she decided to get undeniable proof. She raised money and sponsored the largest study that had ever been done on gender depictions in children's movies and TV aimed at kids 11 and under, which proved she was telling the truth. Mm. Number three. During pre-production on Thelma and Louise, there were a number of different actors attached to play the two leads, including Michelle Pfeiffer and Jodie Foster, and Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn. Gina asked her agent to call Ridley Scott once a week for almost a year to let him know that she was interested. Mm. How many weeks before his assistant stopped putting the calls through? (laughs) Well, yeah, (laughs) I don't know how much they got through. I have not seen A League of Their Own. So mm-hmm. I don't know if Madonna is in it, Tom she Hanks. Is. Both of them are in it. Yeah. Or Gita Davis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Baseball movie set in the uh, like war period where okay. men were off to war uh, and a scout uh, played by Tom Hanks went looking for female baseball players oh. and found Gina Davis. I am fully on board with fact number one because I don't like Madonna <laughs> and it paints her as uh, a rude, selfish prick, which, um, yeah... Yeah, I'm, I'm very <laughs> pleased with that. Ha, has I've heard any, it before. Yeah. Has anybody seen the Weird Al Yankovic movie with Daniel Radcliffe? I yeah. have, yeah. Mm. Yes. Uh, Madonna is depicted in such a fashion in that movie. I can't remember that. What happens there? Evan Rachel Wood. Uh-huh. She seduces Weird Al and, uh-huh. and ends up trying to take control of his career, so he'll write parody songs about her songs to get her more money. Oh, yes. That is insane. <laughs> That's a completely <laughs> true story. <laughs> Do you remember when she married Guy Ritchie and then just started talking with her? Cockney accent for no reason. Yes, I do remember that. That was a, yeah. that was a thing. You do do that to some extent. If you hang out with people with a particular accent, you start to pick it up. It's true. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just part of human nature of wanting to fit in with a group. It's mm-hmm. just instinctive that you do that. We may be getting off the point. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that film has got those people right. in it, so yes. that could be true. Big study on children's TV. Did yeah. it change because of the study or... Did she use it as uh-huh. evidence when auditioning for parts on children's TV shows that were initially aimed at male <laughs> actors? Possibly. I can give you some of the results of the study, if yep. you like. Yes, please. So it found that, on average, male characters outnumbered female characters three to one. And another stat I quite liked was, in any crowd scene, there is an average of just 17% female extras. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. She certainly has been using this study uh, a lot uh, over, the, over the years. I do know that one of these three facts is definitely true. Okay. Well, two of them are true, Peter. That's the format. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but I know which one is definitely true. <laughs> are you going to share? Or? Oh, right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's the one about statistics. It's the middle one. Yay! But it's definitely true. I like that one. So it was, was something like 28% of female speaking time within the runtime of the movie yeah, or something. Yeah, they have this algorithm that monitors speaking time and appearance time and, yeah. But and apparently now it's close to, or has been close to, 50%. I know that study exists, but are you sure it's Gina Davis? That, what? I am. And then the third one is the calling up to 
get considered for Thelma and Louise. Yeah, uh, against she, all those yeah. other brilliant actors. Was she a big star by that point? What was her The Fly first big role? Was she mm. was in, yes. uh, was that 88, something like yeah. that? 86, Tra- The Fly, I think. 86. Transylvania 6, 5,000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Earth Girls of Easy. I thought she was good in that. That may post eight actually. Directed by Julian Juno Temple's dad. Julian Temple, yeah. yeah, who is yeah. a great director. Did the Phil from the Show with the Sex Pistols documentary and he also did chunks of Who Killed Bambi. I feel we may be getting up yeah. <laughs> off the topic again. again. <laughs> getting your agent to call somebody once a week isn't that if it was like once every hour, once every day. Oh, we're not no, getting into Sean Young territory I, here. I, I think giving a call once a week and still available isn't overly excessive. It's a bit needy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Bit needy, but <laughs> got, it got her the part. If yeah, it's if true. she really wanted if the part, true. and it was an incredible script yeah. at the time, obviously, and it and it turned out to be an incredible story. Did she call on behalf of Susan Sarandon as well? Or? I believe she was just advocating for herself, but um, <laughs> selfish. Uh, well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not entirely what sure. About Susan Gina, I know. <laughs> They obviously had incredible chemistry, mm. but they were certainly thinking about the other two as pairs. As a pair, yeah. I am going to go for the Madonna one as a bluff, actually, because you know I don't like Madonna. <laughs> you know I would go for it just because I like the story. If she won the bet, did she then have carte blanche to be a for the rest of the... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it was Gina Davis at the end of her tether tried to do something uh, mm-hmm. drastic. Could have just headbutted her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say the Madonna one's the bluff. I'm going to go with the calling every weekend. And I'm also going to say Madonna because if the Al Yankovic story is correct, she was in prison for his attempted assassination by that point. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, as Peter said, the study is very true. And in 2004, she set up the Gina Davies Institute on Gender in Media to conduct further research under the motto, if she can see it, she can be it. And um, has that's talked... almost the Rocky Horror Show. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, She's talked about this. I can fly if she can see it. Then she can be it. Oh my. Um, <laughs> she said, We are, in effect, acculturating kids from the very beginning to see women and girls as not taking up half the space. And she also created the Gina Davis Quotient GDIQ, which analyzes the amount of speaking and screen time given to each character. The story about phoning Ridley Scott once a week for almost a year is also true. Ah. Gina said it was one of the best scripts she's ever read. Uh, And of course, it was nominated for six Academy Awards and won Best Screenplay. And the media proclaimed at the time, this is what the future looked like. And Gina Davis said, I totally believed it. But as time wars on, I realized every few years a movie comes out starring women and does great. 25 years later, it's astounding to realize that things have not changed. I think they've changed probably since she said that, which was about five, ten years ago. I mean, the fact that the breakout style of the film was Brad Pitt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so. I think it's probably getting better in TV. Maybe movies mm-hmm. lower to catch up, but yeah. I made up the Madonna one because, <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, we heard a story from Richard E. Grant a couple of weeks ago. We went to see him do his one-man show. It was incredible. What mm-hmm. a life. Mm. And uh, in the Q&A section, he was asked, who's the rudest celebrity you've ever met? And he said, Madonna. So mm. I thought I'd use that. Did he give was... her any reason? Or... Well, it's just the way that she was like talking to him. He's like, oh my God, I had to sit next to you. Oh my God. That's, that's Madonna, by the way. And it was like, are you really going to talk to me like that? And she's like, all right, what movie have you just been in? And he started talking. He's like, oh my God, so boring. Oh, it's delightful. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, was the movie you mentioned The Rise of Skywalker? (laughs) No, it was Gotthard Park. Oh, Mm. that's a good film. It is a good film. Mm. She didn't think so. No, clearly not. Too busy making that the film where she was on the beach. All right, I thought you were going for the one with Daniel. I mean, there's so many to choose from, isn't there? (laughs) William Defoe. Oh, Body of Evidence. Yeah, Yeah, that was not good. Yeah, Gina Davis, um, also an Olympic archer, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, Renaissance person. Yeah, really interesting person. And I hope to go and see Thelma Louise in the cinemas because I've seen it many times, but never at the cinema. Mm. An incredible film. We should do that. Yeah, I hear her book mm. is very good as well. Mm. It's a book called. I don't know, but it's by Gina Davis. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about her life. Fly on the wall documentary, is it? Hey. hey. I think right. you should watch Thelma and Louise and just mm-hmm. at the exact right moment flick it over to Greece so instead of dying horribly the car just flies off into the sky with the trophy. <laughs> it's a happy ending. Spoilers. Dying of Politeness <laughs> is the name of Gina Davis's memoir. And it's a very good cover of her having tea with a bear. Oh, nice. Mm. Yeah. Right, who's next? Hey! Oh no. Hey! I'm the Fonz! Hey! Oh, I thought it was Mario. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, I only have a similar impressions. I can always do Fonzie and the Mario. What's the Fonzie's favourite metro station? Hey, Market. <sighs> I have some Happy Days facts uh, to celebrate the ending of Barry, which gave him Winkler probably his best role since Happy Days. Mm, yeah. No spoilers. Brought him all back to our attention. Can I say it was amazing? Yes, you can. It was amazing. There's a lot of people saying it was a better last episode than Succession's last episode. Oh, wow. Both excellent, but I probably enjoyed Barry a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed as a word, but... Did Henry Winkler used to direct, or am I imagining things? I think he directed a couple of things back in the 80s. Yeah. And he was in Arrested Development. He was, yeah. And he wrote a massively successful children's book series about being dyslexic. Didn't know that. Nope. But these are these the buff are, started yet? These are <laughs> general questions about happy days oh, no. rather than the funs. So is it happy days or happy days? I'm going to go for happy days. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Oh, happy day? I don't know. So, factor number one. There are 255 episodes of happy days. However, if you add to that the number of episodes of spin-off series of oh. happy days, you get to 642 episodes. Because it's got um, Johnny Loves Chachi and Laverne and Shirley. Morecambe and Mindy, was that not a Happy Days spin? Yeah. I mean, if, if you would like a clue, there were in total, including Unsold Pilots, 10 spin-offs from Happy Days. Wow. Do you count that one Weezer video? No. Fact <laughs> <laughs> number two, we all remember Fonzie jumping over the shark. Oh, yeah. There's a terrible episode of Happy Days where Fonz water skis over a shark and they say that's the point where the series went downhill, and that's where the phrase jumping the shark comes from. Is it mm-hmm. really? Yeah, yeah, from an episode of Happy Days. But did you know that Gary Marshall's wife bought him a shark for the 40th birthday present as a joke, and he put it in the episode so he could write the cost of the shark off as a business expense? <laughs> <laughs> So hang on, she bought him a shark good enough to use? His outdoor aquarium. Oh, like an actual uh, real it, it, live shark? Uh, it was an actual real live shark, yeah. <laughs> and finally, are people aware of The Lords of Flatbush, which is a 1970s film that Sylvester Sloan made before Rocky? I have heard of it, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, it's like basically a small independent film Stallone starred in and co-wrote, which came out in 1974, two years before Rocky. And the film features 
Henry Winkler in a small role, as I think he's called Bruno or Brutus. In Italy, Happy Days was massive, and Lord of Flatbush was renamed Happy Days the Beginning, and they redubbed the film to <laughs> call the character played by Henry Winkler Fonzie and tried to pass it off as a Happy Days prequel. Oh, wow. Nice. Mm. I like it. Uh, can I ask for fact number two? What type of shark was it? I don't know, but it wasn't a great white, which obviously <laughs> you can't have. It was uh, just like the, the fairly small ones. So like if you go to like Sea Life Centre or something like that, you can see like the five, six foot ones. Like a tiger shark? Yeah, that kind of thing, yeah. Do you mean you can't have one because it's protected? You can't keep a great white shark in captivity. People have died. Uh, people have tried. Um, <laughs> sharks have died. People have tried and the shark just dies um, it, because it goes insane in captivity for some reason. Yeah. And They swim vast distances, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, All never the way been a... to the other coast to take yeah, revenge. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit like orcas who should not be kept in captivity. They should not know. But QC will. Yeah. Watch Blackfish. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Henry Winkler in Arrested Development does jump over a little mini shark. He does. On a pier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Just like. Just, He's like, oh, got to go. And he just does a little hop over the, a shark that just happens to be on the floor as a mm. reference to that. What sort of uh, year was this? Just, I, I've not seen a single episode of Happy Days. I have seen Mark <gasps> and Mindy. So Happy Days ran from 74 to 84, I think. Seemed to be on so forever. Post Jaws era. It ran for like 10, 11 seasons. Uh, the shark episode was about halfway through, so like late 70s. So the bluff there is that an actual shark was bought and written off as a business expense, and yeah. that's why... He jumped over the shark, yeah. And the best idea they could come up with for how to use the shark was Fonzie water skis over it. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Was, right. that, was that all three? So we've got the Italian Stallone film that they pretended was a Happy Days prequel because it would be popular. It was about gangs and it's possible he was wearing a leather jacket and that could have been their excuse. Uh, I do also know Italians have a very lax attitude to movie naming. So it's quite common that the number two or the number three in a series will be a totally unrelated film. What was the first one? 255 episodes of Happy Days, but if you add up all the spin-offs and everything and add them to it, you get to 650 odd. Would you tell us what the spin-offs were? Or would that be cheating? Would you like me to list them for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Please, I've done some homework for once. <laughs> so it's Johnny Loves Chachi, Laverne and Shirley, uh, Monk and Mindy. The weakest link. Yeah, that's true. Friends. There was that episode <laughs> of Friends where <laughs> the Fonz played himself. Right. Okay, so <laughs> you've got Happy Days. Mm-hmm. You've got Laverne and Shirley. You've then got Laverne and Shirley in the Army, an animated spin-off of Laverne and Shirley. Never heard of that. Wow. Blansky's Beauties, Mark and Mindy, Out of the Blue, the Fonz and the Happy Days cartoon series, Joni Loves Charchi, and the Mark and Mindy, Laverne and Shirley, Fonz Happy Hour, which again was animated. I've seen none of these. Mm. Uh, so I mean, what was Blanche's Beauties? Was that another animated one? No, that was a spin-off that lasted one season featuring Richie Cunningham's cousin, I think. But there's also two pilots that were made that didn't get taken to series. Uh, are you including those in your total? Yes. Mm. That's two episodes. Did uh, you... Are you counting spinning off um, Pat Morita's thing into being in the Karate Kid? No, because he wasn't playing the same character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if the Weezer video doesn't count, that doesn't count. Um, did you add up all of the episodes of these various shows yourself or did you find it written down somewhere? I added them up myself. Yeah, I caught, oh. a, I caught a glance at John's phone. It's all handwritten notes and it up 
But you could have done that for any reason. Quite good, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> but Laverne and Shirley, mm. I've never seen, but was quite popular. It was. So I can yeah. imagine that running for a while. No, Morgan Mindy like was very series, popular. Yeah. That must have run for a while. Not as long as you think. I think it was like maybe four seasons. Do you remember when he laid an egg and then had a baby that was an old man? No. Um, and it was like some 50s... <laughs> Are you just making this up now? And it was like some 50s, 60s comedian that, more, um, that Robin Williams was a fan of and wanted to get a job on the show. Uh. So they gave Mark and Mindy a child that was an old school, like, posh comedian. That's the bluff. <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> I think right. it did happen, that, actually. This is in time, I think. Mm. I'm having trouble with the shark one. As maybe, maybe. I'm going to choose the Johnniest. The Johnniest. Yeah. Right, which is... The Italian naming thing. I'm going for the shark. I reckon they might have found um, a better way to use a shark. I think I'm going for a shark as well. Shark. Shark. 650 odd episodes is correct, yes, from, mm. from 10 spin-offs. Mm. Um, the Lords of Flatbush was released as a Happy Days prequel <laughs> in Italy with the character's name overdubbed as Fonzie. Wow. Nice. Um, and whilst the Fonz did jump over a shark in an episode of Happy Days, um, as far as I'm aware, it was not a tax write-off. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Cool. I like it. Good bluffing. Would you like to go next, Peter? I have some bluffs about first lines. Okay. For her first credited role, Margot Robbie appeared in a 2008 Australian indie movie, The Dark Side of the Sun, as a young girl with a rare skin disease that prevented her being exposed to any sort of light. Her first lines were, It burns! It burns! (laughs) (laughs) Number two. Ben Affleck appears as basketball player number 10 in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie in 1992. His one line was, Take it! And he says it was so bad it was later dubbed by someone else. And number three, Bill Nye's first movie role was in 1979's The Bitch, a 70s sex comedy as Flower Delivery Boy. The movie was based on a Jackie Collins novel and starred her sister Joan. What was the first line? His lines were, flowers for Mrs. Salmon, and he got paid £150. He claims he was later edited out the final cut. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Affleck was definitely in Buffy. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what was he insisting somebody take? Basketball? I think they get attacked by werewolves or zombies mm-hmm. during the match. Now, if you're playing basketball, do you have to say take it or do you just not throw the ball to someone? Did he have in his hand, despite being a basketball player, a stack of Goodwill hunting scripts and he was trying to <laughs> force them and any agents within the room whilst the scene was being shot? Well, if he did, it worked because he got mm-hmm. an Oscar. Yeah. But Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Best support. Retrospectively. Yeah. It was like one of those career... Awards. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, the presenter like, held the award out as he came to the stage and said, Take it. And he was like, Ah, oh, oh, like the line. And it got a standing ovation that went oh, yeah. on for about half an hour. Uh, it hmm. was one of the best Oscar moments ever. But then someone dubbed over it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't remember that happening, that's probably why. Hmm. So that's definitely true. I'm convinced oh, myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've heard Ben Affleck say that he was terrible in, in that. So uh, I don't know about the line, but I'm inclined to believe that. Mm. And we're talking about films, because was, when was Margot Robbie in Neighbours? We're talking about films. Yeah. yeah. Um, not until the 2010s, I don't think. No. Maybe slightly before that, wasn't um, Wolf of Wall Street around 2012? Oh, yeah, it was. That's longer ago than I thought. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. The bitch she I can been... imagine being a formative film in Peter's youth. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a little bit raunchy, wasn't it? A little bit raunchy. A little bit raunchy, yeah. yes. 
bit of, little bit of blue for the dead. Oh, a little bit of blue, a little bit of, <laughs> little bit of boobage. <laughs> Did you say that was 1979? Uh, yes. That's 44 years ago. Yeah, I was born. Margot Robbie is not 44. No, Bill Nye. Oh, okay. Um, no, that was 44 <laughs> years ago Love. for Bill Nye, but yeah. he was playing the flower delivery boy. Bill yes. Nye is how old? Maybe he was playing young. Was he flower delivery boy age? But that was his role name. Oh, I thought he was pretty old. So he could have been in his mm. 20s then. Possibly if he's, mm. if he's, if he's mid-60s mm. now. I think he might not have been a flower delivery. He would have been a flower delivery mm. gentleman rather than a flower delivery boy, <laughs> yeah. I think. There was the fact that Peter, um, when, when he uh, said that one, tried to stop himself from laughing constantly. Yeah. So. Also, <laughs> the fact that Peter has on occasion been told he looks like Bill Nye. Mm. Maybe <laughs> Peter was a flower delivery boy. Oh, if only You were doing a bit of acting around that time, weren't you? <laughs> I think. And we can't prove even that Bill Nye was in the film because was, Peter claims he's been edited out. Yeah. 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 Mm. Uh. Mm, how could it's all adding up to be a lie, yeah. isn't it? Mm. That one. Yeah. yeah. It burns, it burns is a great first line, uh-huh. by the way. Mm-hmm. And I've not seen the original Buffy the Vampire Player, but I trust you all. It's not great. Truth. I've not seen it either. So I think I'm going to go for Bill Nye. Okay. Yeah. Same here. Same here. Bill. Let's see. Ben Affleck did appear as a basketball player number 10. The same year he appeared in School Ties with Brendan Fraser and Chris O'Donnell and Dazed and Confused the year after. Bill Nye's first movie was The Bitch. Oh, you bitch. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And no, I haven't been to see that. Well, not in the cinema, as far as I can remember. I did go to see The World is Full of Married Men, which is also (laughs) a Jackie Collins that was probably the one after that. And the one about Margot Robbie? I actually made that up. Her first appearance was in Australian crime thriller Vigilante, and The Dark Side of the Sun was actually Brad Pitt's first appearance. Was it really? Ironically. Mm. But I made up the line. Uh, it burns. It burns. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought oh, it was a shame. I like it. Cool. Thank you. You've got it all. Indeed. Yes. Shall I go next? No. Okay, what about you, Dan? <laughs> yeah? Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Andy. Films about time travel are variable in quality. For every Back to the Future, there's a Tenet. For every Terminator, <laughs> there's a Terminator Genesis. There's much worse than Tenet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, we will see. I'm going to describe three time travel films to you, and I make no guarantee about either their quality or veracity. So, number one is The Time Guardian from 1987, an Australian sci-fi film with the tagline, Time is just about the only thing he won't waste. So we're off to a good start. It is the year 4039, and after the Neutron Wars, the last surviving city of humans holds out against genocidal cyborgs called the Jendiki. <laughs> Sorry. Um, their only hope of salvation is to transport the city in time and space back to the Australian outback in the 1980s. Two tough soldiers go ahead to prepare a landing site for the city, where they contend with hostile locals who just won't believe they're from the future, but are aided by a young and attractive geologist. Unfortunately, the cyborgs manage to track them, so, of course, they end up having a laser gun fight. Of course. Number two, I'm Old Fashioned, from 1956, an American sci-fi musical produced by Frank Sinatra. Our hero is Joey Mangiano, a struggling New York jazz singer who dreams of stardom but makes ends meet by working in a pizzeria. His uncle Louie has conveniently invented a time machine (laughs) and and asks Joey to test it for him. He reasons that Joey can go forward ten years learn the music of the future, then come home and use it to make himself a success. 
Joey agrees, but something goes wrong, and he ends up 100 years in the future, not 10. In the year 2056, he finds a glittering world of flying cars, stifling conformity, and food in pill form. He is soon arrested for a public display of affection with an attractive spandex-clad future girl, and the time machine is confiscated. He manages to win over his captors and earn his freedom by making pizza in the prison kitchen and singing all jazz standards for the (laughs) warden, both of which had become forgotten arts. Joey decides to stay in the future where he makes himself a successful restauranteur and musician. Uncle Louie never gets his time machine back. And number three. I mean, we don't need to continue, do we? <laughs> well, Uncle Louie's great-great-grandchildren would be able to reclaim the time machine. And send it back to him. Maybe he was infertile. Oh. Maybe he just couldn't get an erection because he was so sad about his time machine <laughs> having been stolen. <laughs> Every time a lady would come up to him and go, Oh, Uncle Louie... Give me a little bit of fun. Mario's back again. I can't do anything. I went out of my time machine. <laughs> Viagra is an invented by another 40 years. I, and I can't go forward in time to buy any. Oh, the irony. Oh. <laughs> I like that time machine became Jamaican. <laughs> but anyway, number three is Army of Frankensteins. Oh, no. From 2014, an American romantic period drama. No, wait, sorry. It's a sci-fi horror. Uh, A young man named Alan is kidnapped by a mad scientist who removes his eyeball for use in a Frankenstein-style monster. Lightning strikes the facility to bring the monster to life, but wouldn't you know it, it also opens an interdimensional wormholy portal thing that creates multiple clones of the monster, then sends everybody back to 1865 and the American Civil War for good measure. I hate when that happens. Oh, (laughs) such a cliche. They band together to fight alongside the Union Army, They get invited to the White House by Abraham Lincoln, and they try to destroy the Confederates' own uber-monster. In the end, the bad guys are defeated, and the original monster sacrifices his life to prevent John Wilkes Booth assassinating Lincoln, (laughs) but then falls on him and kills him anyway. (laughs) This conveniently opens another portal, and everyone goes home, and the movie can stop. (laughs) The death of Abraham Lincoln Uh, opens a portal. uh, The death of the monster, actually. Uh. Because the creation of the monster opened the portal in the first place, so his death... See, it's all scientifically accurate. I do love a good time travel movie. Unfortunately, none of those sound like a good time travel movie. Not even... No. No, fair enough. (laughs) So we have the Time Guardian, time-travelling city. I'm old-fashioned. Jazz singer goes forward in time and uh, rules the galaxy through the power of jazz and pizza and Army of Frankensteins, which is about an army of Frankensteins. If all of the food was in pill form, how did he get the ingredients to make the pizza? I think because the screenplay was poor. Oh. And how terrible was their attempt to do flying cars? I don't, I've not seen it, sadly. It's weird how there's only pills, but there's still pizza ovens. Pizza is best. Maybe the pills get heated up in ovens. Hmm. Army of Frankensteins sounds sort of familiar. But not like it was 2016. <laughs> that name sounds vaguely familiar, like it's popped up somewhere. Yeah. But I haven't seen any of these. Yeah, the, Which surprises me. I, th- I thought I'd have heard all, th- well, two of them. The central character of that one was called Alan. <laughs> Alan, yes. Yeah, yeah, bluff. Alan. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with Alan? The, um, that was uh, Robin Williams, the character in Jumanji. That was Sam Neill in Jurassic Park. Yep. Also my middle name. Is it? It is. How do you feel about time travel? Well, generally I like it in the movie, but none mm. of these ones appeal. Ask me yesterday. What? I already did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are no death cyborgs in 1980s Australia. We know this. Do we? Well, 
I don't maybe. think we're trying maybe to argue there... whether or not it actually happened. Oh. Maybe there will be. Oh. Or there will have been. There well, will the universe have been. But, no, the, but that city is not still in Australia now. So, oh no, I'm forgetting it was just a film again. I oh, know the, the city was called Melbourne. Oh. <laughs> no, that's a lie. The city oh. was actually called The City. Oh. <laughs> they all sound plausibly bad. Yeah, they all sound terrible. Thank you. Do we believe the Frank Sinatra one? That's the most. That's the one. Out I, of... That's the one I want to be true the most. Yeah. Is that the middle one? Yeah. 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 Mm. He only produced it. He didn't star in it because mm. he was too famous to be in that shit. And that's the one that feels to me like the most made-up one. Me too. The, the uncle's trauma. I think made up. I don't know why. I think it's weird he came up with a title that didn't have time in it. It's kind of interesting if he was making it up. Well, that's probably his catchphrase in the future. Yeah. Uh, he'll be singing his jazz and the future people will be going crazy and say, how do you know this stuff? And he go, I'm old-fashioned. I do happen to know that I'm old-fashioned is the name of an old jazz standard. Ah. So maybe I got that for the title of the film. Or oh, maybe. He's, he's trying the double-double bluff <laughs> oh, now. Oh, no. It's also a drink you like, isn't it? Are you not a fan of an old-fashioned? I do like an old-fashioned, yeah. yeah. I still want it to be true, though. I mm. can't. I'm going Army of Frankensteins because that mm. sounded dismal. I'm going I'm old-fashioned. And uh, for Variety, I'm going for the city from the future. The Time Guardian, starring Carrie Fisher. What? I'm just, I'm throwing that detail in now. Carrie Fisher appeared in The Time Guardian. Oh. Does that help? Or does that I don't know. That maybe changes things. What year was that? 1987. 87? Yep. Like 10, year, 10 years after. Wow. Hmm. I don't know what to think. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she wasn't working around that time as an actor. I thought was, that was her screenwriting script doctoring. Period. Well, she acted in When Harry Met Sally, was, which was 89. Mm-hmm. Probably had a daughter around the same time. I don't know. I was torn between the second and the third one. I like the little details that you put in, or somebody put in, for um, <laughs> Army of uh, Frankensteins. It's a great title. I actually love the title. Yeah. In a schlocky way. Army of Frankensteins. Yep, I'm sticking with that one. Still Army of Frankensteins. Still old-fashioned. Uh, still sitting with implausible Carrie Fisher. Excellent. Well, uh, the Time Guardian is very much real and Carrie Fisher is in it. Wow. Um, she she, plays, have you seen it? Oh, God, no. I looked up the trailer on YouTube, though, uh-huh. and uh, she looks like she's getting paid to be there. <laughs> um, and the, the trailer introduces her as, um, and Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia from Star Wars. <laughs> Casey didn't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it looks shit. Don't, don't watch it. And Army of Frankensteins is also real. Oh, yay! Again, I've not seen it. Um, I did go see the trailer on YouTube, and that is a great two minutes. Just look up Army of Frankenstein's trailer on YouTube and just enjoy. There's a man with a, a laser cannon gets grafted to his arm in the American Civil War. It looks terrible and hilarious. Mm-hmm. Don't watch the actual film, though. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, I made up, what was it called? I'm old fashioned. I thought it was time for someone to head forward in time to the 2050s and bring back jazz as we're all burning <laughs> in a great global <laughs> pizza oven yeah you know, that's how he makes the pizza because it's just, it it's just, it's just <laughs> and then we all get to say it burns it burns <laughs> <laughs> nice all right dan what have you got i have got three facts about everyone's favorite 80s space opera Mm. Mel Brooks' Spaceballs. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, Spaceballs doesn't just make fun of Star Wars. Other sci-fi classics like Alien are joked about too, and the film even features a brief cameo by the USS Enterprise parked outside a space diner. 
Number two. George Lucas gave Mel Brooks his blessing to make the film on the condition that there would be no Spaceballs merchandise. The only exception was the tie-in novelization, which was written by the Goosebumps author R.L. Stein. Hmm. And number three, the film used green screen technology, which was almost brand new at the time, and led to the cast and crew worrying about potential damage to their eyes if they were exposed to it for a long time. <laughs> so people wore sunglasses between takes to protect themselves. Wow. Okay. So the middle one. The middle one. It's actually on my list of weird facts to use for Buffalo Bluffs. Oh, well, there we go. (laughs) So I actually know that is true. The guy wrote Goosebumps. Yeah, I think I'd heard that one before as well. I was a big R.L. Stein fan, Stan, uh, growing up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was thinking I've never seen any Spaceballs merchandise. Except in the film. Yeah, there's a whole mm. yeah, there's a whole set of, of action yeah. figures. Merchandising, merchandising. Mm-hmm. Where the real money from the movie is made. Mm. Um, is it a shameful gap to say I've never seen it? Oh. Yeah, I think so. I've never seen it. Either. I mean, it is mm. not a good film. <laughs> whoa, hey, whoa, whoa. Get out of John's house. <laughs> great. Not a Mel Brooks fan, other than I love Young Frankenstein. That's great. But I've never been a fan of anything else that I've mm. seen that he's done. Mm. Not my style of humour. Not mm. even Blazing Saddles? No. No. Mm. Producers? Oh, the producers, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the elephant. This man? could be like the Roman sketch. So we were talking, me and Pete were talking about this before the show, actually, about Mel Brooks produced The Elephant Man and The Fly. The Fly, yeah. yeah. So and I prefer his production to his and writing and directing. Th- this is how they got their little alien gag in Spaceballs, which features a John Hurt cameo. Yeah. He agreed to do it because Mel Brooks produced The Elephant Man. Mm. Ah. So therefore, he thought it was a serious movie. <laughs> I, therefore, he liked Mel Brooks enough to do it. I wasn't happy with that because it felt like it undermined his original character that one even though it's a even though i don't mind say robert patrick doing the wayne's world yeah yeah so they got john hurt in and he recreated his alien scene in Spaceballs. but then this, the little alien puts on a top hat and tails and yes, does a little yeah. dance and dances along the bar <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and john hurt goes oh no not again it's very funny say i'm laughing shame on you <laughs> says the man who hates the princess bride because it doesn't have jokes in it <laughs> Inconceivable! Hi, he's got a funny voice, and he keeps oh. saying the same thing again. Sorry, we were talking about space balls. Space balls. Yeah. Yes. What was the first? Where there fact? are no funny voices or repeating of catchphrases. No. no. <laughs> what was the first fact again? The first fact was that the USS Enterprise makes That's a little right. cameo at a space diner. I read some stories about the costume for Pizza the Hut. It did not sound a pleasant experience. Well, not from the inside. No. Actual melted cheese. Very hot. Most unpleasant. Dom DeLuise, who did the voice, yeah, Yeah, Dom DeLuise, who did the voice, uh, refused to be in the costume. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Bit like Pedro Pascal. Hey. Hey. Yeah. He's come clean, hasn't Uh, he? He has, yeah. Only cheesier. We love Pedro. Sorry, Pedro. And then the third one was about uh, wearing sunglasses on set. That people were so worried about there being green screen Mm. and the exposure to it that they wore sunglasses between takes. One question for that is I thought for a long time it was blue rather than green, and I thought green kind of came later. When they worked out that actually worked better. Didn't they use green screen for Superman? Because he had a blue Because costume. the red, blue, yeah, that's right. But prior to that, they would mm. normally use blue. But Superman's many years before Spaceballs, isn't it? So they were using green screen mm. pre-Spaceballs. Superman was 78. Mm-hmm. They were arguing green screen wasn't really An unusual new thing. enough to... Yeah. Why would you wear sunglasses? Because there's some green fabric. Mm. I don't buy that one. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm heading towards that being my bluff. I'm here. I'm going for the first one because I'm seeing Spaceballs a lot and uh, I know the dinosaur you're talking about and the USS Enterprise would be too big to park there. 
I can't remember if it's an X-Wing or if it's a Millennium Falcon. I think it's the Millennium Falcon, but I think that's what's actually there, not the Enterprise. I'm changing my answer. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad Andy went before me because I have no idea. So let's go for the first one, the okay. Enterprise. <laughs> Watch me be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, Andy's right. Uh, it was the Millennium Falcon and I changed it to the Enterprise to trick people nice. but it didn't work so were, were they just random hicks who had never seen a green screen before while professional uh, Pullman actors? was among them bill pullman who later went on to star in independence day i thought it was some random thing that a website has got from somewhere and made it up i read that in enough reputable places that it seemed like it was actually true and yes the only merchandise for Spaceballs was the rl stein novelization george lucas was happy for them to make the film but he didn't want any confusion with Star Wars merchandise. Yeah, because George Lucas is all about the money. He loved the money. Very <laughs> much so. That is all for today's episode of Nerdfest. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks' time. Until then, you can follow our various musings on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. Plus, if you leave us a review, you'll receive a reward, just like Mark did a few weeks ago. Isn't that right, John? If you leave us a review, I will knock on your door, carrying a bunch of flowers and wearing a disturbing Bill Nye mask. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, you've been listening to... A man who's trying to work out at which episode this podcast jumped the shark. (laughs) A man who feels the Schwartz. That's a line from Spaceballs, John. A man whose first line was, it burns, it burns. A man whose Uncle Louie never built him a time machine. Yeah, that's because you don't have an Uncle Louie. One reason, yeah. <laughs> Although you could travel in time, get yourself an Uncle Louie and have him build you a time machine. Only by being his own grandfather. I could create his own uncle <laughs> by marrying his mum. This is Grandma, grandma, surely. Yeah, so you can go back in time and impregnate your grandmother <laughs> and say, I must leave now, but I have one wish and one wish only. Call, Call it him Louis. Louis. <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'd give that as just a pizza recipe book. I mean, I'm not doing that anyway, but the fact is, I would need the time machine in the first place. Look, we get it. You're old fashioned. <laughs> <laughs> and a woman who represents one fifth of the podcast, therefore the entire podcast industry, is backwards. Over 17%. Yes, that's true. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. John, you were going to go see The Flash. You're not going to watch The Flash. He's just just been. (laughs) I I want to go see The Flash because a childhood dream is finally coming, Katrina. Two Ezra Millers. (laughs) Not for me, but for Mr. Cage. I think they've, annou- oh, yeah. they've announced it now that uh, Nicolas Cage is playing Superman in the film. Oh, in an alternate universe. Ooh. Yeah. Did he not already play Superman in the Lego Batman movie? I think he did, yeah. Yeah, he's already, it's already come true. <laughs> Screw you, Flash. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe it's like literally like a couple of line cameos, but I think it looks fun. I'm on board for seeing Michael Keaton again. That's mainly the That's reason I would go. the main reason I would go, yeah. I will read the reviews, but at the moment it looks like peak... Here's a thing you remember. <laughs> kind of a film. And we know how you love that sort of I movie. love them. Love yeah. it. Oh, but there's a chance that this, the Flash might end up the Speed Force. <gasps> oh, <gasps> I forgot about the greatest moment in movie history. Right, I'm in. When are we going? <laughs>